exciting episode of Legends in the Dark, where if you go to your nearest coffee house, tell them Jay sent you. You'll get a free cup on us. Just make sure it's called The Coffee House by Jay. Full disclosure, you probably won't actually get that coffee. For free. No, or at all. <laughs> How are you doing, Jay? I'm doing good, Leslie. How are you today? I'm doing well. I, I actually had a really good week. I went to go visit family and saw my new nephew. That's good. How are they all doing? They're doing good. They live up by um, the coast, so it was really nice to get out of town. And like my husband and I, we still wore masks and stuff when we were inside, and it started... I don't know what it was. It was I was on vacation and it the wind started picking up so bad and like it started getting dark like earlier. So we said okay because we, we only went out for the day and we're like okay we better go. And then it rained here and I don't know if it rained in your area but it was really nice. Like it finally felt like fall for me. Yeah, we it didn't rain here at all. But when uh, I was telling you earlier, um, Becca and I went to the went to the drive-in in Madeira, and it was sprinkling a little bit out there too. So I know you were telling me about that. I want to go so bad. I, I really kind of want to check out some movies and just I don't know. I remember going to the drive-in when I was younger. My parents used to take us, and I remember watching. I think it was Crybaby. It was the Johnny Depp movie. And I don't really remember that much movie because it was like, it was the first movie and they had, I want to say they had like a little playground or maybe we just went to the snack bar, but it was like, we weren't really into that movie. Mom and dad didn't care. And like, I, I forget, but then the second movie, when the second, because it was a double feature, and when the second movie came on, it was Iraq, I'm going to say this right, wrong. Arachnophobia, the one with uh, John Goodman and um, was it Jeff Daniels? And I remember watching that in the drive-in because I was so scared. I kept like going under my blankets in the back seat. <laughs> but yeah, I, I remember having a great memories of that. I can't yeah, wait we, to go. My parents and I we used to go to the because you know we we I don't know if if you remember because I don't know when I, you actually came like moved down here exactly, but like they. Had they used to have one on Blackstone, over in uh, on the way to River Park. Oh, that was before me then because I don't remember that. If that was the case, I probably would have hung out there more because I love movies. I love sitting watching a good movie. I'm excited. I'm thinking of getting rid of my subscription to like NBC and um, a couple of other like BritBox, like a couple other um, subscription services, just to get for a month, just to get like the Hallmark Channel one. Just so that way I can watch some cheesy romance movies for the whole month of winter. Like, I want to know what it feels like living in California. I want to know what it feels like to live in a small Vermont town and be an overworked city girl, you know, who just wants to help with the library fair and save that old church bell. I don't know. <laughs> I don't think those kinds of stories exist in oh. real life, but yeah. Oh, they exist. It's oh. always in Vermont, though. Always. Always. I wonder if that's just on their on their state sign. Welcome to Vermont. Every town is little, and our doctor is. And always in desperate need of some help. And our doctor, our handsome, eligible bachelor doctor, needs a wife. Exactly. And by <laughs> the end of the movie, he'll get one. I really want to watch those movies, though. Okay, but uh, yeah. So it's been a pretty good, pretty good couple weeks. 
And for you listeners, again, we're bat-logging this, so while you're hearing it, probably dead of winter in December, I think, we're just past um, the second week in November. So we haven't even gotten to the American holiday of Thanksgiving yet. East Day. East. is one. I, like, Chris is already talking about, like, his mom's like, how should we tur- cook the turkey? And I'm like, we should get two turkeys. <laughs> A test turkey, if you will. Well, I've, I, I am well aware of the concept of a test turkey, although I've never actually cooked one myself, so Chris got I, a, I, I leave that in the capable hands of my my mother. Chris got a, a, um, a Traeger from his friend and um, a smoker, and we want to see if we can smoke the turkey, so that's why we need a test turkey. So we're probably doing it this upcoming week just to test for Thanksgiving. We're not, I mean, we're, we're following um, COVID rules and stuff. We're not having a huge, like, family coming over. It might be his brother, and we still eat outside. Like, we already bought some porch lanterns and heaters, so that way we can all eat outside like we've been doing. But now that's colder just to stay warm. But I'm really excited to try out his uh, smoked turkey this year. But, uh, okay, uh, I think you're going first this week. But, okay, yeah, sure. I did promise, after all. <laughs> I'm going to do something that's a little bit different, because this isn't like a typical sightings or cryptid, whatever. It's more of like a, a small anthology, if you will, of snippets of ghost stories from a place in near located near borrego springs california which is called the anzo borrego's haunted desert hmm okay i don't think i've heard of this is it really well known i yes i believe not sure actually okay thank you for poking holes in my whole thing (laughs) anytime do I do that to you? I don't. I don't think I do. Oh, I you think know. you. I think you will in tonight's story. You're gonna pull mm. so many holes in my story. Oh, now I will. <laughs> so, so first story we have a classic lady in white. In the late 1850s, there was a young woman who arrived by stagecoach at the uh, the Vallecito stage station on her way to Sacramento to see her lover. Uh, when the woman arrived, she was frail and worn from long travel. She had grown ill from, you know, lack of nutrition and questionable water. So she was carried from the stagecoach to the back bedroom of the stage station and given care, as much care as they could afford to give her at the time. Sadly, nothing could be done to save her, and the woman's journey ended in a dark room in a Vallecito stage station that night. When, the bag, when her baggage was examined, a brand new white dress sewn with lace and embroidered and all that stuff was found in her bag. This was what was to be her wedding dress was as she was on her way out to Sacramento to marry her lover. She was buried in that dress in at the Capo Santo, which is about 500 feet away from the, the Vallecito station. To this day... It is said that this woman can be seen walking restlessly about the station on moonlit nights. That is a classic woman in white story. There's so many of those, especially along the roadways. Roadways, I mean, this is pretty much a road, you know, near roadways. It's on a 
stagecoach station house and everything. That's cool. One story in this area. Second story, actually, a lot of these stories tend to kind of connect to the Vallecito station, except for the last one that I have. But the first couple here are pretty much connected to that station. Cool. So the second story I have is the Phantom Stage of Carrizo. Mm. Like stage as a stagecoach or stage as in like a theater stage? Stagecoach. Oh, cool. Near the Vallecito Stage Station in Carrizo, Wash, there are tales of a phantom stagecoach that forges its way through the deep through the deep sand pulled by four mules. Again, on moonlit nights as these things seem. Driven by, it is said that the stagecoach is driven by one driver who is hunched over as if asleep. Now, I have more on that driver in a second. There are never any passengers seen when, when the stagecoach passes through the Carrizo Wash. It hesitates for just a moment when it, get, when it passes through the area, as if it's planning to stop at the old station, which by now is basically just a pile of mud before finally continuing on and out of sight. It is said that the morning after you see the Phantom Stagecoach, you can see the ruts carved from what in the in the soil or the sand or mud from the wagon wheels and the hoof prints left behind by the ghostly stage. That's creepy. Like if you think about it where if you heard something like, oh, why do I hear horses? All oh, well, maybe someone's watching a movie somewhere and it's just echoing and you mm-hmm. see like horse prints where there's not supposed to be horse prints. You had a story that was similar to that. Uh, it was a fort or something like that, right? Uh, Civil War people on horseback or something like that. Yeah, it was the it was the um the Devil's Backbone, the one that in Texas. It. But I don't yeah. think they said that they saw like footprints. I can't remember. I mean, I wouldn't put it past them. But yeah, that one had a couple of different ones, including the Native American who was following the guy. Oh yeah, that's right. And he heard he heard footprints. He didn't see footprints, but he foot, sorry, he heard footsteps under him when he was in the uh, the deer blind when he was hunting. Oh yeah, I remember that one. Yeah, that was a creepy one. Okay, so here's here's a little bit more detail on the stage. So in the 1860s, there was a stage. It was a very special stage. It was carrying a box of coins, mint coins and things like that, had one driver and one guard. Along the way, the guard fell ill and the driver continued on without him. I'm not sure what that actually entails. If the guard fell ill and he just kicked him off the stage and just took off, or the guy, they found a place where he could stop and let him off at, or whatever, didn't really go into all that. Anyways, the driver continued. along Somewhere along the way between where they, where they took off and their destination... The stage was held up by bandits, and the driver was shot and killed in the middle of the robbery. The coins were stolen, and and the driver, who at this point is now quite dead, continued on through Carrizo on their way to the Vallecito station. However, the stagecoach was never seen again after that day. Remember what I said earlier in the story that the when you see the phantom stagecoach, the driver is always slumped over looking like he's asleep. Pretty sure the guy is dead or he's slumped over like he's dead. That's, that's creepy in itself because there's so many, I think it's more Irish folklore 
of about seeing carriages, but a lot of times it's the carriage who's driving it is uh, headless. The doula hand. Yeah, yeah, and and we should do that for Christmas. That'd be a good one for Christmas. And um, but I've never heard of one there being alive. But this one is weird because, like you said, he's slumped over. So it's almost like a, like they're seeing a replay of what happened. Mm-hmm. But then it's creepy that it was never, you know, seen from again. And the coins, apparently, from the stories, the coins are still buried out there somewhere. Ooh, there's treasure. I like a good treasure hunt. I know you do. <laughs> okay, so that was story number two, and. Last one I have, story number three. If you are ever in the Anza Borrego desert between the Superstition Mountains and Seventeen Palms, you may catch a glimpse of an apparition and not making this up, an eight foot tall skeleton with a lantern in its chest. No way. Really? Yes. I've never, how can I never heard of this? This is awesome. Okay, keep going. Okay, so the, it was first seen about four miles southeast of Borrego by a prospector named Charlie Arizona. That sounds so fake. I, I know, right? <laughs> Somebody like pulled that out of a Wild West movie or something. No, it sounds like it's a Brad Pitt and Richie, um, who, who's the guy? Uh, guy Richie show. <laughs> like, okay. Brad Pitt as John Arizona. One night after settling up camp, Charlie settled down, or setting up camp, sorry. Charlie settled down for the night when something out there in the desert disturbed his mules and he went out to go investigate. Suddenly, he came across a large human skeleton with lantern light shining through its ribs, walking about as if it was lost or looking for something. It was walking about very strangely, but, you know, Strangely for a skeleton with a lantern in his chest. I like, I like that's not the strange part, the skeleton with a lantern. No, the strange part was a little like he was looking for something, like, hey. So shortly after Charlie viewed this apparition, it, dis- it disappeared over a small ridge. Smart guy didn't decide to go after it. Two years later, two less intelligent men saw this apparition. It's also two other prospectors caught a sight of a flickering light which quickly disappeared. However, they did think that it looked a lot like a skeleton carrying a lantern. So this time it's saying, they're not saying that it was in its chest. They're saying it looked like it was walking around carrying, but they didn't get a good look at it. Now, these two prospectors didn't think much of it at the time until a year later when a traveler came to the Vallecito Station. Again, Vallecito Station, it's a big thing out there apparently, with a tale of a skeleton he saw wandering around in the desert carrying a light. Now, the two men, the original, the two original prospectors, decided, hey, let's go make a name for ourselves. Let's go find this legendary skeleton ghost. Because now it's being seen by other people. Yes. On their third night out in the desert, the men in- finally encountered the ghastly lit skeleton. This part kind of made me giggle a little bit. They shot at it. <laughs> Amazingly enough, it did not seem un. It didn't. It seemed unfazed by the gunfire. <laughs> not only because it's a it's a ghost, but even if it wasn't a ghost, it's a skeleton. So. <laughs> right. So they followed it for some reason. 
For three miles, as the skeleton wandered about in a strange and intermittent gait over ridges and through valleys, before finally they lost track of it. How do you? I don't know how you follow things something for three miles and say, "Well, we, we lost it." Especially when it had a light with it. I know, right? Like it's kind of. Unless it just disappeared. Could be. So there's a, a, a belief is that this. Many believe the skeleton is possibly the ghost of another prospector who discovered and worked what is called, and I'd have to do this, probably a different story, I guess, but if I don't know if you've ever heard of it. it he discovered and worked the Phantom Mine. Yes, I, th- I was about to say I knew the Superstition Mountains because I don't know if it's the same Phantom Mine, but there is a famous treasure supposed to be out there. And the Superstition Mountains are also really weird. Because everyone who, not everyone, but I think there's been three or four people who've gone out to look for this treasure or to just even hike in the mountains and they've died. And it's really, I mean, you know, it happens, but it's really weird because it's the area. Like people who like go into a certain area seem to get lost easily where they shouldn't get lost, if I remember the story correctly. But superstition melons are very weird. They have some really weird stories around them. Definitely. And as you may probably know, the Phantom Mine has been lost for many years. Like, nobody knows where it is. So this skeleton just wanders the desert searching for the mine that it worked originally and its final resting place. Yeah, I mean, I would believe it. That's a good legend. Like, well, what else is out there that... You know, when you see something really weird, it's one of those things where, oh, it must be a ghost of an old miner. It must be, oh, this is a shipyard. It must be a ghost of an old sailor. Like, it kind of makes sense of how that legend came about. Like, oh, we saw a weird skeleton, like, humanoid with a lantern, and there was mines out there. So, obviously, it's a miner. Like, you know what I mean? Like, it's it's a justification of the time. Yeah. So, that's my small anthology of Anza Borrego haunted desert tales. Yeah, as soon as you said Superstition Mountains, I was like, oh my gosh, I've heard so many stories from there. I didn't know it was that close to it, and I haven't heard of those stories. That's really cool. But yeah, we may have to do like a like a big story on the Superstition Mountains. I want to say it was like the Dutchman's Mine is... What I've heard of. I don't know if that's the same as the Phantom Mine. Could be. I mean, I, I, I think you're right. I think we should do a do an episode on just that. Yeah, when you look at when you start looking up, they have lights, they have disappearances. It's this whole area is kinda like a little Bermuda Triangle. Like, um, I think it's in what's considered our Bermuda Triangle too. Like we have a Bermuda Triangle. Like, I've been watching, I think I've told you that, I've been watching um, that Missing 411 movie, the one that's free right now on Prime, which is The Hunters, and I wanted to get the books, but the books are really super expensive, probably because they're out of print, so I'll have to just look through um, old bookstores, but I was talking to, I don't know if I mentioned this on the last podcast, I can't remember, but I was talking to my brother-in-law who came over for Halloween. It was like one of the best Halloweens. And he had, we started talking about this Missing 411 books because he's so well-versed and he he has so many books that I was just kind of hoping that he had heard about this. And I found out that he's really into dirt biking and he does races. And he also, I guess, helps um, make the race tracks. 
And so he said, uh, we were talking about missing 411, and he's like, oh, yeah, because we live by Yosemite. He's like, yeah, you know, there's a lot of missing people who have gone missing in um, Yosemite. And I said, yeah, I heard that these books mention that. And he was talking about because he's been, he per, because, you know, he's, he's in his 50s, he participated in a couple of missing person searches. And then we started talking about, like, the area and stuff. And I will tell you right now, I know we talked about this, I may have to rethink about looking into and doing some Bigfoot stories because he has some really creepy, scary stories about his time in the forest. And I'm just like, it was it was creeping me out. I think I told you this, but it was like the perfect Halloween in a sense of like creepy stories. We were eating outside by firelight. Like it was just, and I, um, I was listening to his stories about Bigfoot and he's just so knowledgeable that I was like, Okay, I might have to actually kind of rethink about doing some of these stories. But it's the same thing with Superstition Mount, Mountains. It's this area where it's the same kind of thing. What is out there? What is these disappearances, these weird lights? Like, there's a lot of, like, pockets in, you know, areas that this all happens. And, I, I mean, that's where our legends come from. So it's really interesting. Yeah. yeah, I totally would love to do some stories about that. Definitely. Okay, you ready for mine? I am ready. Okay, so if I plan this schedule correctly, this should be coming out around December 13th. And we're in the 94th anniversary of the mystery disappearance of Agatha Christie. All right, so you know me, I'm a, I'm a Christie fan, so. I know, you're, 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 in, you're an aghead. You're an aghead? I've never been called that, but I'm, I'm going to tell some of my friends who love Agatha Christie. I'm looking at you, Sarah. Uh, that says, okay, we're both agheads. <laughs> okay, I wanted to start off with a little bit of history of her. So, September 15th, 1890, in Torquay, Devon, England, Agatha Mary Clarissa Miller was born. During the First World War, Agatha fell in love with Archibald Christie. In 1920, her novel, The Mysterious Affair at Stiles, featuring detective Hercule Perrault, was published Christie's novels included detectives as the famous Belgium who coined the phrase Little Grey Sills, the partners in crime of Tommy and Tuppence, and my personal favorite, the spinster Miss Marple, which Chris loves it when I'm like, we're discussed. Like, I talk about Miss Marple with another, my friend Sarah, who is an Agatha Christie fan as well. And it's funny because he says, you know, I feel like she solves murders by just going to tea and listening to gossip. Yeah, I can't refute that. She kind of so, does. You said they have Her Hercule Poirot. Poirot? Mm-hmm. Isn't, isn't he the one from um, Murder on the Orient Express, too? Yes, that is one of her books. Oh, yeah, yeah, okay. They have another one coming out, too, I think. It's another one with him, like the sequel to that. Oh, yeah, you're jumping the shark here. <laughs> no, Agatha Christie jumped the shark a long time ago. Yeah, right. Every, oh, I think right now, if you're... Oh, okay, listen. I'm a writer, and I send my stuff out, and you know, you get rejected, and you feel you feel kind of... You don't feel great, but you feel like either you feel like you want to give up or you want to keep going. And how I keep going is I, I like to hear stories about people, authors who... You know, like, J.K. Rowling didn't publish um, Harry Potter right away. Neither did, you know, John Grisham wasn't famous right away. Like, 
like authors had a struggle. Well, Agatha Christie, and I never knew this, had her first six novels rejected before she got success with The Mysterious Affair of, at Styles. So, like, that just made me feel a little bit better today. Be like, hey, even though she was, you know, a queen of mystery, she also has some rejection, too. Everybody's got to start somewhere. Yep. So, as you had uh, mentioned, her works are still being seen today. Amazon is reimagined the ABC murders. Hollywood remade Murder on the Orient Express. Her novels are still in print. Mousetrap, the play, ran from November 1952, closed in, in September 2018. But out of all her mysteries, there's one that's still unsolved. In August of 1926, the whirlwind romance of Agatha and Archibald was coming to an end. So I say whirlwind because they met, and then three months later they were married. And it was during the war, so it's kind of one of those wartime stories. And from what I've read, too, is it was a lot of talk that he wasn't, like, up to par with her. Like, she was a little too good for him. And I'm not quite sure what that means because it didn't really clarify. But I wonder if it was just someone who loves Agatha Christie. So was like, oh, yeah, he wasn't good enough for her. Not for our Agatha. <laughs> that month, August of 1926, Archibald asked Agatha for a divorce. He had fallen in love with a woman named Nancy Neal. N-E-E-L-E. That comes in later. In the same year, Christie's mother died. This was mentioned a couple of times that just that Christie's mother had died around this time. So I don't know if it meant like before he asked for a divorce, which that would be awkward, or after the fact. But it basically, he asked in August. I'm thinking the mother must have passed. And then in December... He asked again, basically saying, I still want a divorce. And in December 3rd, after a reported fight with her husband, who left for a weekend party with friends, Agatha Christie kissed her daughter goodbye and left in the middle of the night. Her car was found abandoned at Newlands Corner with clothes and an expired driver's license in the car. The disappearance had all the hallmarks of a Christie novel. A trouble in backstory not known to everyone, meaning her marriage and the affair her husband was having. A car left behind with no explanation and no signs of a struggle or accident. No body, no note, no idea of what happened. There was even a new book released, The Murder of Roger Ackroyd, a book featuring not one, but two suicides. But the new book, was it a stunt? Where was Agatha Christie? The Home Secretary at the time, William Joyson Hicks, urged the police for faster results. The police answered, including 1,000 policemen were looking for Christie, hundreds of civilians, and for the first time ever in the search for a person, aeroplanes. And here's a fun fact for people. Do you know how I love my fun facts? I do. Sherlock Holmes creator, Sir Colin Arthur Doyle, and author Dorothy Sayers were involved in looking for the missing author. Doyle gave a piece of clothing, a glove, to a medium, and Sayers actually visited the scene of his disappearance for clues. The news was so widespread, it even made the news in the United States. And remember, this is in 1926, so it's not an easy, like, Google, oh, author missing. 
you know, it, it had to travel. And then... This in, missing. Oh, do that again when I'm not talking. This just in, author Agatha Ethic Christie missing. Police searching. Husband suspected. Old timey voices are fun. I know, right? Everyone was looking, and then, just like a Christie novel, a twist ended. Christie's body was found. But, unlike most thought that it was going to be found in a lake or discovered on the side of a road, instead, the missing author was found safely in scone at a hotel in Harrogate, Yorkshire. On December 14th, 11 days after the disappearance, a woman, Teresa Neal, N-E-E-L-E, from Cape Town, South Africa, was checked in at the Swan Hydropathic Hotel, was discovered to actually be the author Agatha Christie. Archibald waited in the lobby, and when she came down, he called for her by name. Turning, they both met in the middle of the room, and then they went upstairs to her room, where they talked and had a discussion for a couple hours, it said. They came down, they left, and Christy was sequestered at her sister's home. It was reported by Archibald that his wife had suffered a, quote, unquestionable, genuine loss of memory. And then that was it. No other explanation was ever given. Two years later, in 1928, Agatha and Archibald divorced. After her death, in 1975, many bought her autobiography, hoping to find answers. But it's not one mention of her disappearance or the reasons behind it. Dame Agatha Mary Clarissa Christie, Lady Malawan, from her second marriage, took the secret to a grave. And so today, people still have theories of what happened. Some people make them into fun little stories. And other people, it's a almost scientific study. So some of the theories is, one, that she didn't lose her memory. That it was just a way to punish her husband that went, that kind of exploded. And she didn't know how to get herself out of it. Uh, so via, like, Gone Girl. Another theory that's a fun one that uh, people have been talking about was a different movie. So there's one movie in 1979 called Agatha and had Vanessa Redgrave and Dustin Hoffman, where the disappearance was an elaborate plot to cause the quote-unquote murder of Agatha and blame her husband's mistress. In 2018, there was the movie called Agatha and the Truth of Murder, where she leaves just because she wants to go undercover to solve a murder. And there's actually also, also people who believe that because of her mother's death, because of her love of crime, and because she was shy, and because that her husband was asking for a divorce, and it was just this whole bunch of stuff going on in her life, that she basically had a nervous breakdown and was in a fugue state. And it wasn't until... Archibald came to like the hotel that kind of was like something is wrong and that she basically was seen by a couple of doctors at her sister's house and a lot of people believe that and but no matter what you believe it was after the 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 fact that people were really upset with her and I find it kind of interesting that her husband still didn't um divorce her for two years but he did, after the divorce, did marry Nancy Neal, I believe. That has some 
crazy stuff with old Agatha. Well, and if you think about it, like she's crazy, she's crazy clever with her, her plots. I don't know if you've ever read an Agatha Christie book because they're a little bit different from the TV shows and the movies because sometimes with the TV show and movies, they almost have to streamline it to make it to, so people don't get confused because sometimes she'll have so many suspects. Think of like, and then there were none. I think, what was it? There was like 10 people. And so... It's a lot of a cast where a lot of times now people are like, okay, you're going to have like, you know, the hero and the heroine, you're going to have the love interest, you're going to have the one best friend, you're going to have three suspects. And, you know, so it's basically like eight people, but you already know like four of those people aren't it. Ooh, twist. No, it's the fourth person who you didn't know. Like it's one of these things where, um, where she was very clever in her plots. So if anyone was going to you know, plot her own disappearance. They had to be smarter than she is. Yeah, and honestly, like, 11 days, and uh, it was said that she was recognized by a musician in the band and who called it in, and they weren't sure. So that's why the, I think the police, one of the police sergeants or police inspectors was with her husband in the lobby, and they waited for her to come down. And when they called for her and she looked, she knew, like, it was one of these things where she just went to him and then went upstairs. Like, there was no, like, oh, I don't know what you're talking about. Like, she tried to run away or anything. She might have said, like, oh, I don't know what you're talking about. But she went with him upstairs. So, like, if you – and so a lot of people say, well, look at that. Like, if you lost your memory and didn't recognize your own husband, why would you take him upstairs to your room in the 20s where that wasn't done? Exactly. So I think it was a little bit of Gone Girl in a sense of I think she did just needed to get away I don't think she was going to, like, do anything. Like, I think it was one of these things where the person she could probably talk to, her mother. I mean, I don't, I've never read the autobiography. I've read parts of it. But I'm assuming that she was close to her mother from what I've read. And you're going through this horrific thing of finding out your husband cheats and that he wants a divorce. And this is done in the 20s where divorce, I mean, like, the royal, royal couple and the king and queen stuff, they didn't even have divorced people in, they couldn't know divorced people. So it was, it's a stigma to it. And you're an author and that's how you're going to make your, you know, livelihood and you're going to have this stigma to it. So why not, and your husband's a war hero, so why not disappear for a little while, you know, kind of smear his name, then that way when you get the divorce, it was, well, he had an affair. You know, it was because you had to have, I believe you had to have a reason for a divorce. And I think, I can't, I wouldn't know if he would have admitted in the divorce paper that he was having the affair. You know what I mean? Yeah. It would just be interesting if it was or not. But it was just, I feel like it was planned to a certain extent. And then it just blew up so much that she probably really didn't know like, how to get herself out of it. I like the theory where she went to go undercover to go solve a, go solve a mystery on her own or something. I'm like, oh, I could just see Agatha Christie just jumping into the mystery machine and, like, you know, just <laughs> traveling around uh, traveling around England, like, solving, solving mysteries. Yeah, you know, honestly, if I had to, I, I think that's what happened is she just wanted to be alone and just, deal with stuff 
But if I had to really say, like, Leslie, if you really, like, if you could find out the real reason and it was not that, what other reason would you want? That would be my reason is she went to solve a mystery. Look, she disappeared and two of the um, most, like, highly ranked, you know, mystery authors, you know, Dorothy Sayers and, you know, Sir Arthur Conan Doyle came out to help solve the mystery. You know what I mean? Like, I could totally see her saying like someone told her about some weird murder mystery and she's like yeah i'm gonna go i'm gonna go investigate this my life is you know kind of crazy right now i'll go for a couple weeks and like going and trying to figure out this mystery and then just realizing like in the movie um okay spoilers in the movie um agatha the truth of the murder 2018 it basically the detective does recognize her because she's solving this murder and another murder occurs so they call the detective and he does recognize her but they he allows her to solve it and then basically says i would get myself you know discovered soon and and she kind of says, well, what should I do? Says, well, I better, I guess you better just forget everything that's happened here. And, you know, it's kind of leading like, you know, that would be a, the reason why she never said anything in her lifetime. And even after her death, like of what actually happened. Yeah. So, One but, of these days the truth will come to light. But I feel like when it does, it'll be super interesting. I don't know if it'll come to light. 94 years is a really long time. Like we're almost going to be at the 100th anniversary in a couple of years. Well, maybe they just don't really want to solve it that bad. Maybe it's it's more interesting as a mystery than it would be if he solved it. I mean, she she is just such a woman who has such a clever mind that it was one of those things where I think she didn't plan for this to happen, but once it did, I think she just went with it. And then she just put it behind her. It was something, kind of one of those silly things where, or one of those things that you say, oh, it was a silly thing I did when I was younger. You know what I mean? True. So funny story, fun story, is because I knew about Agatha Christie and I was reading their books, or her books. Oh, this must have been in 2012 about. Because before I moved into my first house with my husband, it was we were at this apartment and I was reading an Agatha Christie book and his friend Nathan and Sam came over for dinner. And Sam was sitting with me at the table and she was like, she saw my book and she was like, oh, you like Agatha Christie? And I said, yes. Said, Have you ever watched Doctor Who? And I'm like, oh, you know, I tried the first season a couple years ago. I just wasn't into it. And she was like, well, there's an episode where he goes back in time and it's a mystery house party with Agatha Christie. And I was like, what episode is it? I'm in. And that's like how sold. <laughs> I'm like sold. And so that is how I became a Whovian is because I watched the one with the 10th Doctor and Donna Noble about Agatha Christie and I was like oh this show's pretty good okay I'll start from the beginning and that's how I got into Doctor Who was because I loved Agatha Christie I still have yet to watch like the last couple of seasons of Doctor Who I'll be honest I I'm the same way but it's not because and like other people it's not because of the change of doctors I actually I, I like seeing the new doctors because I like seeing what people bring to it because this is a series like I thought it was really funny that people who've like watched the series for like six or seven years were really like well that's not my doctor which is like i don't get this this series has been going on like over 50 years and i think at this point it it's gone through so many different changes i'm not quite sure why people are upset that it's not like the doctor they want you're not always going to get the doctor you want 
but because that's the whole point of him regenerating it's always going to be different yeah and but it, it should be one of these things and i'm not talking about it being older or a woman or anything like that i'm just talking about like the stories and so i i stopped watching not because anything of that i honestly stopped watching one because it was really hard to get because it was bbc for a time before it came to america and then the second one the second reason is because just like any series i get kind of burnt out on it and I have to step back. And sometimes I don't step back into it and it's too far ahead. And I'm like, it's too far ahead. I'll, I'll deal with it later. Like Supernatural. I always get to up about season four or five. Like I've mentioned this before. I get to like season four or five and I'm just like, I'm done. Like I kind of do that. I'm like, Ugh, okay, I'll come back to you when it's when the season's over. And then it kept going on and kept going on and kept going on. And now it's like, what, season 10 now? And I'm no, like, they're they're in season fifteen, and that's the last one. But but you know what I mean. It's like season fifteen. It's like, ugh, okay, I can't I can't get into it. Some stuff I could binge all day, but some stuff I'm just like, I gotta stop. Like I do that with like Boardwalk Empire. I did that. I did that with Sopranos. I've done that with Doctor Who. I've. It's just I get to a certain point where I hit my wall, and I can't watch it for a while. I actually did it with The Crown too. Like I didn't really was it into season two and then I was really wanting a really good period piece and I was like oh the crown season two I'll start watching that but anyway that's my story I uh, 94th anniversary of Agatha Christie's disappearance still unsolved good stuff Leslie good stuff thank you so should we do our uh, legendary listener shout out let's do it I want to apologize because I'm so bad with names I'm so bad with names. I know I'm going to mess this up. So, Jay, hopefully you can um, help me out here. All right. Our legendary listener shout-out this week goes to... Hold on. Huh? Say Ming. Ming? Say Burr. Burr? Say Birmingham. Birmingham. There you go. Birmingham, Alabama. Good job, Stewie. <laughs> anyway thank you so much for listening i think we have like we have a lot of downloads from alabama there huh <laughs> but thank you so much for listening well thank jay you, you want to take this home yeah i do this has been another successful and exciting episode of legends of the dark my name is jay and i'm leslie your purveyors of the paranormal and your curators of the creepy we thank you all for listening and good night, good night.